Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a serious XM podcast available everywhere. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Two years ago, in the early days of this pandemic, Canadians needed help. Businesses were closing, jobs were vanishing, hours were cut, then eliminated. Millions of citizens were staring down the very real possibility of not being able to pay rent or the mortgage or even the grocery bill. It was this crisis that introduced one of the largest aid programs of the entire pandemic. Starting April 6th, you'll be able to apply for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. We're getting you the help you need when you need it. Millions and millions of Canadians received what came to be known as CERB in 2020. For many, it did keep the lights on, put food on the table, It was a huge success for the federal government. Record help delivered to record numbers in record time. And those millions of Canadians could breathe a sigh of relief until for hundreds of thousands of them, the beginning of the following year. Hundreds of thousands of self-employed Canadians may have to repay CERB benefits after the government made a mistake on eligibility requirements. Tammy Seed is one of those Canadians on the hook. The amount she may have to repay, up to $14,000. No Canadian has yet been told they must pay back some or all of the money they received, but the specter of it is very real and puts very real stress on people who are already struggling to make ends meet. And funny thing, when you dig into exactly whom of the 8 million plus who received CERB were told they may owe it back to the government, it paints a pretty damning and unfair picture. So who got these letters and why? What do they mean? Why are new ones expected to go out any day now? And what should you do if you find one in your mailbox? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Kelly Geraldine Malone is a Canadian press correspondent based in Winnipeg. She focuses on justice, social issues, child welfare, and history. I assume among many other things. Kelly, how are you? I am great. How about yourself? I'm doing really well. Uh, Why don't we start today, just because uh, time has little meaning anymore, and it's been many, many months uh, since the beginning of this, Refresh us about the CERB. What was it? Who qualified? How many Canadians got it? Well, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or as most of us just now call it, CERB, was paid out to about 8.9 million people. Uh, It was available for seven months, so seven four-week pay periods. And in each one, you earned about $2,000, and it was all taxable income. For those who were eligible... Uh, what it really was is about $2,000 for a four-week period, around $500 a week. Um, I think probably for our purposes, we want to talk a little bit about who wasn't eligible. Okay. Which maybe there there's an array, and it's obviously been complicated, which I think is why a lot of people 
are having this conversation and why the government is maybe sending these letters. People who might have to now repay that money are those that returned to work earlier than expected or they received retroactive pay from their employers. Um, they earn more than $1,000 a month, which is what the Liberals allowed beginning around mid-April 2020. People who received a CERB payment with both Service Canada and the CRA for the same period. Um, and then for our cases in this, uh, what might be most important is someone who didn't make at least $5,000 in 2019 or the 12 months prior to the date of the application. Mm. And then there's also those who quit their job voluntarily. So didn't necessarily have to do anything with um, the pandemic. Tell me about these letters, because that's what we're talking about today. Um, as I understand it, these are not yet letters saying, you owe us this money, pay it back. But why did people get these letters and, and what's actually in them? Well, I wanted to jump back a little bit um, to a bit more of the genesis of this story, because I think that might provide a bit of context. Please. Our group with the Canadian Press, along with my colleagues, and I really do need to give a lot of credit to Jordan Press with our Ottawa Bureau. He's just fantastic and has really been the lead and following on this story continuously throughout the pandemic. Um, but the team filed an access to request um, to Employment and Social Development Canada pretty much right after CERB finished. So we ended up asking for it um, where CERB was given based on forward so sortation areas. And that's the first three digits of your postal code. Right. We got that and we're trying to parse people at the Canadian press trying to parse what this means. So we used 2016 census to calculate what percentage of the population over 15 um, in each area actually received CERB. And with that, which was kind of the original article that led to the to the one we're talking about today, we really found the areas where CERB was most. And it's it's kind of where you expect. So it's in areas where, number one, there was a lot of COVID. Um, so, you know, you're seeing a lot of spread. You're seeing maybe shutdowns happen. Um, and then you're also seeing a lot of it in places like Toronto or in certain areas of Calgary. Okay. Time passes for us at the Canadian press. The government announces it's sending out some letters. My colleagues and I are like, well, where are those going? That kind of original journalism question that seems simple and then quickly becomes complicated. Right. So we filed another access to information request, and this time to the Canada Revenue Agency, using kind of that data that we got from the first story about where CERB went. And we asked for those same three letters and digits from a postal code but this time where the letters went. And what was really interesting was it was a very different outcome. So these were letters that um, specifically when we were talking about people who might not have been eligible, targeting people who might not have met that $5,000 threshold. And the way the letter was worded, um, the government has since said was probably not the greatest. It was worded in a way that had many people confused that they would have to pay that $2,000 back. Mm -hmm. And once we looked at that data, we saw that this wasn't going to Toronto or Calgary, where we saw the most CERB recipients. It's going to completely different areas in Canada, ones with high Indigenous populations. We're going to get right into that in one moment. But first, I want to maybe um, put a face or at least uh, a person behind these kind of anonymous letters that go out. And, and you talk to a woman named Vivian Ketchum. Can you tell me about her and specifically about 
you know, what it's like to get one of these letters saying this money that got you through last year, uh, you might have to give it back. Well, uh, Vivian is someone who is somewhat known in Winnipeg, um, at least in media circles. She is often at the site of a fire or something that happens and she brings her camera. And so a lot of people know her. And I had actually been talking to her over the last little bit about this and was when when this story was kind of coming together, knew immediately that Vivian would be someone good to speak with because she had spoken with me about getting this letter and how terrified she was. So she is a residential school survivor. Just before the pandemic hit, before CERB, she had decided that she was going to go back and get her high school. And she's in her 50s. And so doing that was a really big and continues to be a very big deal for her. She's very um, determined. So you know, she lives on a very fixed, minimal income, and she had cut it down even more to pursue her high school um, education. Suddenly, the pandemic hits, and the little bit of income that she's getting is gone through a low-paying phone survey um, job. And then even her schooling was put on pause, so kind of the thing that you you were getting through the day by doing. And she's worried about, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to eat? Um, she lives in an area of the city where it's a food desert. So it's not like you can just go to superstore and buy bulk. Like you really are having to buy at more expensive places. Mm-hmm. And she sees the announcements about CERB. Everyone's telling her like, apply for it. You know, you, you worked minimally, you did freelance work on the side. Um, she worked as part of what I like to call the informal economy, which, you know, is maybe doing gigs here on the side where someone pays you in cash and, and all of that is gone. So she's like, service for me, it, it is supposed to help me survive this right now. And that money is make or break for someone like Viv. And so she applies and gets it. And she thinks this is a lifeline. She was relieved. You can actually go through her Facebook postings. And it's almost like this heartbreaking timeline of her being like, this is everything. Thank you, government. Serve is it. And as time goes on, she gets this letter in the mail that says, in her words, how she read it was, you don't qualify, you owe. And so she goes and she starts trying to get information and really... It, it's so difficult, especially if you're someone who has been systemically marginalized from financial literacy, from the taxation system, yeah. to try and navigate. So, you know, in our story, as we mentioned, that, you know, she goes in, she does her taxes, she's being told she has to pay back, she's stressing out, she can't get her job back. Um, and, and it really led to her making rash decisions. She went and took out payday loans to try and get through, which put her in more financial precarious situations. Uh, and then it ended up, she she has a, um, she had a condo in an area of the city. And I want to say it's a Winnipeg condo because I'm, I'm not sure where people are listening to. So it's not right. quite the price of a Toronto condo. Um, and, and she ends up putting it for sale because she's so worried about how am I just going to survive. But the letter didn't explicitly say you need to pay this back, right? It, it, you mentioned the wording was tricky, but she obviously didn't know. Yeah. Uh, so the letter weren't sent out being like, you have to. And that's, that's I think, one of the bigger issues in this, which they're realizing. They're now sending out new rounds of letters that clarify, we have some information that you might not have been eligible. The first ones were really wor- worded as, you didn't meet this $5,000 threshold. Hmm. 
and it got people scared. Some of them actually did meet it. So there are some people who got the letter that have figured this out and it's no problem. Or there's people who got the letter and were like, you know what? I wasn't eligible and they easily pay it back. But there's a significant proportion of people who got this letter who this can disenfranchise them because they're scared they owe from number one, filing their taxes, which might make them then lose out on other benefits. Um, yeah. And it is populations that are historically disenfranchised from, as I said, you know, even filing the taxes, <laughs> filing your taxes rates in Indigenous communities are the lowest in Canada. And so, you know, when you're getting it to, to a group of people that might already feel hesitation about taking part in this part of society um, due to systemic racism, this just further disenfranchises them from being a part of it. Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a Sirius XM podcast available everywhere. So let's zoom out then. You mentioned that when you looked at the rates of places that had received these initial letters, uh, they skewed toward places with higher Indigenous populations. Where are they? You know, what kind of rates are we talking about here? Maybe just give me the results uh, and what surprised you, if anything. Well, I think the visualization when we had done the original story about where CERB went you know, you're seeing these dark colors that shows higher concentrations in Toronto, in, you know, areas in Ontario with sig- much higher medium incomes. You're seeing it in, you know, Calgary, um, in more urban centers. But then when we did kind of the same data visualization, when it came to where the letters went, by far, like far and away, the concentration is northern Manitoba and northern Saskatchewan. And what actually hmm. first notified us was we saw this weird kind of like deep color of concentration for First Nation um, on the East Coast. And we're like, what? And then kind of did that macro apo- approach looking at, okay, well, where else are we seeing this concentration? And right away, it's northern Manitoba and northern Saskatchewan. And I really want to make it clear that the amount, the proportion of CERB payments in these areas is minimal. Like it's a drop of the amount of CERB that was handed out across the country. Right. But the letters asking for it back are sent here. And there's a lot of different kind of parsing of what we can take away from that. Um, but it, it was it was really mind-boggling. As someone who lives in Manitoba and you're doing this story, it wasn't what I expected. No kidding. And we'll get into what the possible reasons could be. But first, I'm assuming you saw this data. It really stuck out to you. You asked the CRA, hey, um, this is what we found. What did they say? So the CRA wants it to be clear that no one has been forced to pay any of the aid and no repayment deadlines have been set and no recovery or collection efforts have been made with respect to any group, including Indigenous applicants. So CRA says um, there's a multitude of reasons why these letters uh, would go out to these areas. Tax filing rates on reserves are low, uh, and that's for a slew of reasons, including systemic racism. And these letters went out to people where 
if they haven't filed taxes, they might owe. So it would just be letters targeting of, hey, file your taxes and then we'll see. CRA also pointed out there are some people who received uh, the CERB um, because they fall under a tax exemption under the Indian Act, um, which is really only a few people who are exempt from income tax under Section 87 of the Indian Act. Uh, So that wouldn't be a lot of the people, but it could have provided misinformation to a lot of people in First Nations communities thinking that they um, applied for the CERB when they didn't. Let's give uh, the CRA and the government the benefit of the doubt here and say they obviously didn't plan to send a disproportionate number of these letters to Indigenous communities. Uh, But what's your takeaway and maybe your colleagues' takeaway in terms of the bigger picture and just based on the realities of being an Indigenous person in Canada, you end up caught in this type of uh, government database? It's something I talked a lot with my colleagues about because I think this pandemic relief effort and now the CERB repayment letters and where they're going is probably a demonstration of larger issues within our country, within our right. financial situation or our financial systems within our taxation that continues to disenfranchise um, and marginalize low income and specifically low income and indigenous people in First Nations communities. Because what is likely in the people that I talked to that were impacted by this is that it's really a misunderstanding mm-hmm. about what the letters meant, um, who was actually eligible for CERB, and then also how to find these things. If we go back, First Nations people in Canada were not allowed to be active participants in our economy for a very long time, and really until recently. And especially First Nations people who lived on reserve couldn't sell their, you know, whatever they grew on on the reserve to anyone in the city. So there was active policy to remove First Nations people from our economy. And we're also talking, you bring in residential schools, underfunding of education of First Nations people. It's created just a cyclone of people that are disenfranchised from being a part of kind of the formal economy. Right. It's not like they went out to put uh, Indigenous people into this net, but they built the net in such a way that it was going to disproportionately target Indigenous Canadians. Exactly. And and it just reflects, you know, one of the big things is people who are self-employed. There was confusion about, do they get CERB? All of this. But it doesn't look at the kind of informal economy that exists on First Nations in Canada, uh, which was something that I wanted more of it in the story, but, you know, we have word counts at Canadian Press. But Well, you don't you, have one here. Tell me a bit about it. <laughs> well, if you go to, um, I'm from northern Saskatchewan, and then I live in Manitoba. And if you go to a First Nation, you know, you need someone to fix your deck. You're like, I'll give you 500 bucks, come to my deck. Right. You know, yeah. deal with my deck. Or I need a ride to the city. Anyone give me, you know, 50 bucks. Or, or I'll pay someone $50. Like, there's an informal economy that a lot of people exist within. And when you're talking about First Nations fully shutting down, and if you looked at them in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, they were shut down longer than the provinces. Hmm. So all of this kind of informal economy that doesn't get caught up in our tax system suddenly is gone. And so while people were just getting by already in 
on their First Nation, they think that they apply for CERB or they're being told, yeah, absolutely, you you qualify for CERB. They might not because they just exist in a way that's not necessarily captured within the system um, that decides whether or not you're eligible. It, it also leaves people who are getting these letters, who are already maybe scared of filing taxes because they're scared of owing, they get a letter like this and it's like, oh, I'm definitely not filing taxes now. So someone like Vivian is in a worse position now after receiving the CERB and being told she is someone who has to repay because she went and did get it checked out. After having to repay, she's in a much worse situation than before she got CERB. And it's based solely on just not having, I guess, the empowerment that someone who maybe hasn't felt the systemic racism of the economy, of our financial system, of our education system, wouldn't at all be facing. So what's going to happen now? You know, you mentioned there's a new letter that's hopefully a little more clear that's been going out. What happens to people who get those letters and even those letters, right, are not like you owe us and you have to pay. That's still up for debate. So where are we on this, I guess, as we speak? Well, I think the one thing that I try and make clear is really the amount of um, CERB payments that went out. The batch of letters that went to First Nations is a really minimal amount of the actual overall CERB payments right. um, that went out. It's, you know, 441599 more and more letters are going to be going out as Canada Revenue Agency realizes that some people who thought they were eligible weren't. Really, we're talking about when it comes to the majority of it, some of it has already been paid back. Some money people will pay back. Um, and most people who get these letters will probably, you know, or most people who got CERB but didn't actually qualify have the means to pay back. CRA has said it will work with each taxpayer to make sure that their needs are met. How much flexibility they'll have, we don't really know. That's to be seen. But what it really, I think we need to talk about, and I, I would hope that CRA is looking at, and a lot of different ones are, is that there are some people that are completely marginalized that are going to be asked to pay this $2,000 back where it's make or break. Like that $2,000 is make or break for them. And the solution to that, CRA says they're flexible. We'll see what actually happens. Um, I know here in Manitoba, there's been a lot of educational kind of get-togethers online um, with our different organizations, First Nations organizations, where they're trying to really work with their community members to empower them to understand, do I actually have to pay this back? Or, you know, how to, if they do have to pay it back, do it in installments over time so that it doesn't leave them destitute. Um, and then in the larger picture outside of, you know, just Indigenous people getting these letters, I think in Canada, it's it's a long process. Um, you know, Canada Revenue Agency. You're saying the government won't move quickly and efficiently? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, in the most shocking uh, statement, the government will move slowly, but uh, probably will get most of its money back. Kelly, thank you so much to you and your colleagues for shining a light on this disparity. I have one last question before you go, which I'm sure a few people uh, listening right now are wondering about. Let's put on uh, practical service journalism hats for a moment. Somebody listening receives one of these letters. What should they do? Well, CRA does have a website. You can go to it. There is information there. 
if you are having trouble navigating that information, you are not alone. So <laughs> 100%, you are not alone. It's okay. If most people, you know, around the country have someone in their lives, a financial advisor um, or someone who they work with on their finances who can probably give you some pretty straightforward advice about what to do. Um, but really, it's about filing your taxes uh, when you get this letter, and that'll let you know if you do actually owe. Um, and sometimes it's just about clarifying information. So if you get the letter, it doesn't necessarily mean you owe. It means that the Canada Revenue Agency has some information that shows maybe you owe. And it's really about clarifying that information with the Canada Revenue Agency. Um, don't stress out too much. That's been a significant issue actually with these letters is people just like the emotional impact it's having on people. No doubt. Canada Revenue Agency says it will have flexibility with repayment if in the end you do actually owe. Kelly, thank you again for this. Uh, really important. Thank you so much. Kelly Geraldine Malone of The Canadian Press. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn or write to us Hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can get this podcast absolutely anywhere. You get your podcasts. You can listen to it via smart speaker by asking your favorite smart speaker to play The Big Story Podcast. And I will never stop telling you to leave a rating and leave a review. If for no other reason, than I like reading them. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. Hello there, it's Peter Mansbridge, host of The Bridge, where we reflect on the issues of the day and how they could impact you. Politics, public health, technology, they are just some of the topics you'll hear about. Cut through the clutter and tune into The Bridge, a Sirius XM podcast available everywhere.